Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, I'm not going to read it all at once, and I thought I was going to use this mic, but it's driving me nuts. I can't. I'm not going to read it all at once. Uh, We're going to go through it a little bit at a time uh, here. uh, We're going to continue our talking about Elisha this morning. And the message title, if I were to give it one, is Uncommon Provision. Uncommon Provision. Provisions. 2 Kings chapter 4 tells the story of a widow woman. And we're going to look more in depth on what that can mean to you and I today, what Elisha did, what God did in this lady's life and the life of her children, and what it means to us today and what it can tell us about God uh, today as it relates to us and what we're facing. So, As we get started this morning, I want you to close your eyes with me and just imagine for a moment. Imagine a desperate situation that you've faced in your life. Some of us may not even have to go much further than today. Right? Some of us may not have to go much further than where we're at right now. We've all faced desperate situations or maybe those in the midst of a desperate situation where your back is against the wall and you have no idea, no idea how to get out of the situation that you're in or what you're going to do or how you can fix it or how you can make it better or how you can get peace or how you can get comfort or how you can get strength. Absolutely feel like you have no hope, feeling helpless. 2002, at the ripe old age of 25, I was laid off work. Kelly and I had bought a house within that uh, last year, and um, I was uh, I was laid off work, and uh, it was sudden. It was unexpected. Uh, they laid off uh, hundreds and hundreds of employees that day, uh, and I remember feeling so helpless. You know, the, the company was good. They, they gave me a very nice severance package, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, when I, God blessed, and, and when I went to my very first interview, I got the job. The problem is that I had the security clearance. And that clearance did not come through until October. And every other job interview that I went on, I, it, it never panned out. Never was a fit. Never worked out. Never, you know, it, was, it became frustrating. So I'd gotten the job the first interview, but all these other job interviews, I became more and more desperate. Nothing was working out. There was no reason why I shouldn't be qualified for these jobs, but it just, they weren't interested. And uh, I, I couldn't understand. And I remember Kelly and I uh, getting towards the end where we didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't find out I was cleared until right uh, like a week before I started, was able to go to work. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had a mortgage due. We had food. 
Uh, my unemployment had run out, uh, and when you have a family of, of four, uh, unemployment of $300 a week, that's, t that's tough, you know, uh, to, to live on. Uh, buying groceries and paying all utilities and paying your mortgage and everything. Uh, so we didn't know what we were going to do. And it, we, we, uh, last month was probably the worst. And we had used up all of our savings. We had used up everything, every resource we had, and our mortgage was due. And I didn't know what we were going to do. And I remember just sitting uh, in the church in the front row crying, not knowing what kind of we were going to do. We, were, we just didn't know. And uh, so I was sitting on the front row crying, uh, and someone comes over to me, like the pastor of the church, he put his arm around me, and he said, he said to me, <laughs> Are you able to pay your mortgage this month? And I said, no, no, sir. Unless God works a miracle, I can't. We can't do it. And out of nowhere, he said, well, the church is going to pay your mortgage this month. Wow. And it, we were down to the last minute, the last second. I believe the payment was due in two days. I didn't know what we were going to do. And God provided. And I, had, I started to work the next week. Wow. But what makes this particularly frustrating uh, when I was in the situation was I'd gotten the job so quick, I remember getting up in front of the church and testifying. And how great God was and how good God was. And I got this the first job I interviewed with and I was so excited. And then nothing happened. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. Until you're like, hold on for a second. What are you doing, God? What's going on? You become more frustrated. You're more bitter. You've done everything you know to do. I was going on more job interviews. I kind of testified how great he was. Right in front of the whole church. God is awesome. God is awesome. God is awesome. Look what he did. Look what he did. Well, guess what? By September, you know, I wasn't thinking God was too awesome. <laughs> right? 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 Yes. right? I had gotten up and I was saying things to him like, uh, God, I bragged on you. What in the world is going on here? You know, I bragged, I testified, I believed you, and we can't pay our bills. And I got this job, and every other job interview is, it's not worked out. What am I going to do? I want to provide for my family. I want to provide for my kids. And I remember becoming so frustrated until I was broken. Until mm. I was broken where I knew there was nothing I could do it myself, and help wasn't coming from anywhere else except from God. And that's when God stepped in. That desperate moment where I would, the only way I could possibly know that it was going to get happen was because God made it happen. That God provided. And when you and I look at this story in 2 uh, Kings chapter 4, let's look at verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. This isn't just any woman. This is a wife of one of Elisha's students, one of the prophets that he led. We're going to see more about the, the prophets later. But they basically had a school, and, and Elisha was mentoring these prophets. So this was a man of God who loved God, who was in the tutelage of Elisha, the prophet of God. Uh, they were his students. So he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was serving God. He loved God. He was following after God. But he died. He died. And when he died, he left his family in a horrible position. What would happen is, is that 
the men and women in this state, the, the, the men would enter into agreements for land, right, for property, for, for farm, and then they would, uh, over time, pay uh, the, the person who they had gotten the land from back with the profits. But if something happened and they could not pay, it was the legal right of the person who, made the, who was the owner of the property, who had sold it or bargained with it, it was his right to go in and take the wives or the children to serve them until the debt was paid. Wow. So what's happening here is that the husband has died, they can't pay the bills anymore, and so her husband or her children are going to be taken from her to go pay off the debt. Now, the only person to take care of her was her children. All right? The only person, the people that were going to take care of her because she was widowed was her two boys. If those boys were taken from her and then she was left, what was going to happen to her? She was going to die. Die of starvation. She was going to be kicked off the property. It was, it was going to be a terrible situation for her. Not to mention her boys were going to be placed in servitude until the next year of Jubilee or they died or they paid off the, paid off the debt. So this lady is in a situation that's not her fault. In fact, she's in a situation where her husband was serving God, doing what he was supposed to do, following after God, right? Serving God. That's not supposed to happen, is it? Those things aren't supposed to happen, that to, to God's children that love him and are serving him or doing everything they're supposed to. How could God let her husband die? That, that's not supposed to happen, right? That's what we think. We think we're serving God, we're doing this, we're doing X, we're doing Y. Bad things are supposed to happen to us, but they do. Bad things do happen in this world. There's sickness, there's death, there's evil people. Bad things happen in this world. And sometimes God's children are affected. And this woman could not understand. That's why she goes to Elisha and she says, Elisha, this wasn't just some regular dude. She reminds him, Elisha, this man was one of your students. He was a prophet of God. He was a student. He loved God and he loved you and he was doing everything he was supposed to do. Yet God allowed him to die. He was taken from us. And if you don't do something, if God doesn't do something, he's gonna, this man is going to take our children, take our two boys, and I'm going to be left alone with nothing. And we know that she had already gotten down to where she had nothing because Elisha says to her, Tell me what you have in your house. And what she says is, I have nothing except for a small vial of oil, a small thing of oil. That's all I've got. So this woman was in a desperate place. Her provider was dead. Her children who would be able to do something for her and take care of her two sons, they were going to be taken away so that she was left alone. She was going to be homeless without provision, without anything. She was desperate. And she saw no way of getting out. There was nothing she could do or her sons could do to save her. Nothing they could do. So she did the only thing she knew to do. And that was go to God. By going to Elisha, she was saying, I need God. She was going to God through the prophet. Mm -hmm. So she went to Elisha because she knew that Elisha talked to God. 
And she knew what God could do because her husband served Elisha, was taught by Elisha. So that means he knew the miracles that God had used Elisha to perform. He knew what Elisha, uh, what God could do through Elisha. So I'm sure he told her and his children. And so she goes to God because it's the only place she has to go. Many times God puts us in desperate situations. So that we have no place to go except Him. Because sometimes we think we can do things on our own. We have the resources. We have the talents. We have the gifts. We have the ability. We have the mind. We have the ingenuity. We can fix this. And maybe even our pride, we decided we don't deserve this. And so we become rebellious and angry and selfish and self-centered. And we run from God instead of to God. Amen. And we murmur and we complain. Yeah. And we grow bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter. And if you don't have the proper attitude and you aren't grateful for what you do have, you will become desperate and you will do inappropriate, improper things to get what you believe you deserve, to get what I believe I deserve. If we don't recognize that God is in control, He's our provider. He's everything that we need, Amen. even when we're desperate. Amen. He wants us to turn to Him, call on Him, and He wants us to be patient and obey Him. Patient and obey Him. Patience stinks. Right? I'm not a patient person. Even my dad one time came up to me. My dad was not a religious person, a spiritual person, or anything. But he, uh, he said, son, I want to tell you something. Never pray for patience. And that was my dad. Because when you pray and ask God for patience, God's going to teach you patience. Yeah. And the only way he knows how to teach you patience, which is in the middle of the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I, to this day, I don't think I've ever prayed for patience. That scared the snot out of me, right? <laughs> like, let that happen without me asking for it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But God wants us to be patient. He wants us to persevere in spite of. But the first step is, if you're in that desperate situation, and maybe it's no fault of your own, you've done nothing, you don't deserve it from all aspects, the first thing that we have to do is we have to turn to God. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about with our children. In a desperate situation with our children where they've gone off and we've done everything we know to do. We've raised them in church. We've taught them the love of God. We've taught them to respect God. We've taught them to fear God. But they've gone off and done their own thing. That stupid free will. Right? And they're off doing their own thing. And we're desperate because nothing we say, nothing we do can reach them. We've had a situation in our family recently where someone I love very much has gone a completely opposite direction of what they know to be true. And it's burning my heart because there's nothing I can do except pray. Right? All you can do is pray and seek God. And that's what God wants us to do is get to the point where He is all we have. And all we can do is call out on Him. We can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on others. We have to call out to Him. Our husbands, our wives, our children, our grandchildren, our families, our homes, our jobs. Our help, but nothing we have uh, can fix it except God. Amen. And this woman was in that situation. 
Nothing she had could fix it. Her boys couldn't fix it. She couldn't fix it. No one could fix it. And it got so bad she had nothing left. So she did the only thing she knew she could do. And she went and she pled to Elisha, who she knew could talk to God on her behalf. So that's what she did. And she goes to Elisha. And Elisha says to her, what do you want me to do for you? And she said, tell me. Well, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, let me stop there for a second. Her house was bare. There was no meal. There was no flour. There was nothing. This lady didn't even have enough to bake one last cake before she died. Remember Elijah and that? Right? He said, go make me a cake. But she said, I'm going to make our last cake. And me and my, my son, we're just going to die. This lady didn't have enough to make a, one last cake to eat for her children. And her. All she had was oil. Now, I love this part because she says, I have nothing but nothing but a jar of oil. To her, that jar of oil was inconsequential. You couldn't drink it on its own, right? You can't drink oil. You can't make anything with it if you don't have ingredients to go with it. It's not going to sustain you. You can't drink it. You can't eat it. It's not going to provide you anything. Right. You can't do anything with it without flour, without meal, without something. It's not going to sustain you. So to her, so what? All I've got is this jar of oil. I can't do anything with it. It's not enough to sell. I can't get any money from it. I can't do anything. So to her, she said, she quickly did a mental inventory. My house is empty, but I have a jar of oil. That's all I got left. That's all I got left. I am down to nothing. All I have is a jar of oil oil. When you and I look at our lives and we look at what we're facing, many times we're down to where we say, I have nothing left but. Mm -hmm. You ever been in that position? Mm -hmm. We say, I have nothing left but. I have nothing left but a dollar in my checking account. I have nothing left but. I have nothing left but. Right? I've had, literally, I've had times when I've said, I have nothing left but prayer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because even then I relegate prayer to the shelf like a jar of oil. Wow. Right? You ever done that? Come on, I'm not the only one that's ever done that where I say, well, all I can do is pray. Yeah. In fact, I've said that in this sermon now five or six times, I'm sure. Right? Have we not? Yeah. We don't, we, we go and we say, I have nothing but. Right? And that, that but's big because it lets us know where our heart is. Meaning she knew she had nothing and the jar of oil that she did have was useless. When you and I get in these situations and we say we have nothing but, we're saying that but is useless. But we serve a God, right? You and I serve a God who can take little and make a lot. He can take a dollar in a checking account and make ten dollars, twenty dollars, forty dollars. Right? He can take a, a, a position, a job, or on the bottom run, and he can give favor and promote you, promote you, promote you, promote you, promote you, promote you. We've had that happen in our church with people where they start out favor, 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 favor. God can take you where at the bottom run, and he can start to promote you exponentially. Right? In your family. Where all of a sudden you see little things start to happen and God starts to work in the lives of your children, of your husband, of you, right? You know what I'm Amen. saying? Of your wife. All Amen. of a sudden you start to see hope. Amen. Because you're down to nothing but. Amen. Wow. God likes us to get to where we got nothing but. Wow. He wants us to see how insufficient you and I are. Right. 
but how sufficient He is. He wants us to look and say, the things that I have in this world are useless without God. See, everything we have belongs to God. Amen. So therefore, you and I are responsible for nothing. Right? You and I, we work, but it is God who gives the increase that blesses. Right? I can't make a dollar stretch. It's just a dollar, but God can. Amen. Right? Yep. There's things that God can do with finite resources that I can't do. But i got to get to the point where I recognize that that what I do have in the closet is nothing. I can't use it to do anything with. But God can. Right. I can't make anything happen with it. I can't do anything with it. But God can. Amen. And she, she says to the man of God, I have nothing but a jar of oil. The man of God, Elisha, seizes on the jar of oil. And he says to her, all right, I want you to go, and I want you to gather empty vessels. And he tells her, don't just get a few. Don't go just get two or three. Go get every empty vessel you can find. She clears out the neighborhood, the neighbors, her, right? She's clearing them all out, stacking them. So she has a, a dwelling, a house full of empty vessels. A house full of empty vessels and one jar of oil. So she has to be obedient to what God says. Now, that makes sense. In her mind, what is God going to do with a bunch of empty vessels and a jar of oil? Right? In fact, it's, it says here that she didn't know what she was supposed to do. So after she filled the, the vials, she went back to Elisha like, what do I do now? So before we get there, though, so she, she's got to go be obedient and collect the vessels. She's got to go get them. And Elisha says, take a jar of oil and start pulling and pouring it in every vessel. Now, I don't know how this worked. I don't know if it just she just kept pouring it and never went empty. I don't know if she poured it until it one filled up and it was empty. And then she had, see, I don't know. I like to imagine that she poured it till it was empty and then had to pour it again even though it was empty and pour it again until it was empty because that would demonstrate her faith in God. Amen. Right? That she, okay, I poured it all out. It's it. Oh, wait, hold on. Pour it all out. Oh, wait, hold on for a second. Right? You had to, by faith, keep pouring an empty vessel into empty pots to see what happened. Because she just kept pouring and pouring and pouring. <laughs> And pour it until she says to her sons, bring me another jar. And they say, we've got them all. You have filled them all up. And as soon as they said that, the Bible says that the oil ceased. It, it, it stopped multiplying at that moment. And so she's in this situation where she has to be obedient. And I love this part. The Bible says that she went in and her sons and they closed the door behind her. This was between her, her boys, and God. Elisha didn't go. Right? Elisha told her what to do. He didn't go in the house. He didn't pray over the bottles. He didn't do anything like that. He simply told her, and she had to go act upon it. And she did it by herself with her boys and no one else. Right? Now, here's a tidbit. She, her boys got to see what God can do. Right? She didn't go do it by herself. She brought her boys in, and all three of them brought pots and poured the oil in. Right? She's pouring the oil. He's bring, they're bringing a pot. They're moving the pots. They're all doing this together with the door shut and the private between them and God. 
They got alone in the house, being obedient, and didn't care what anybody else thought, what anyone said. They didn't need the prophet to be there. They just had to be obedient. And they saw God move. And her children were able to see God move with no question that it was God because the door was shut and it was only them and God. Our children need to see our faith. Our children need to see our faith. Our children need to see how God answers our prayers. Amen. So that when the time comes, they know that they too can call out upon God and God will hear their prayer. Amen. I, uh, my children laugh. They, they, I'm glad my mom's not in here. They, my, my three boys specifically call my mom a saint. Mostly to aggravate her. But part of it is half true because... Every time my mom has prayed, no matter how small, God has answered. Case in point, uh, they were on a toll road, and they didn't have enough money to pay the toll. And so my mom said, all right, well, we're just going to pray. My, my kids and my, my nephews and niece were in the car, my nephew and niece were in the car, and she prayed and got out and searched the car, and in the car, they found enough coins to pay the toll. My nephews and my boys still talk about that to this day. Right? Something small. None of they didn't have the money, right? Uh, when I was when I was a kid, we were as a one lane road, a one lane bridge, one lane bridge. It was big enough for a car and maybe a motorcycle to cross at the same time. It was on Blackburn Road, and my mom was driving, and you know cars weren't small back in the eighties. This big old Buick, red Buick, huge thing with doors that came out to here and would touch the wall. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and she came around this corner, and another guy in another big car came around, and she was already on the bridge when he came speeding down into the bridge. My mom had time just enough to say, oh God, have mercy. Somehow, somehow, while me and Charlie were sitting in the back of that car, that man came and drove next to our car and made it to the other side. My dad didn't believe her. He actually went out to the bridge and measured it to see if it wasn't big enough for two cars. And it wasn't. It was big enough for a car and a motorcycle. And it has affected me my whole life. That's a miracle from God. We always talk about God widening the bridge. That seems impossible. We didn't hear a thunder from heaven or lightning. We didn't hear God's booming voice say, thus shall it be done. You know, we didn't see the bridge stretch. All we know is the car was coming right at us. And somehow it had enough room for these two giant cars to go across a one-lane bridge that only had room for a car and a motorcycle. You could not believe it, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. When you're a kid, that shows you what God can do. My boys laugh because when mom prays for a parking spot up front, she gets a parking spot up front. You laugh, but it has affected them. They will say, Granny, from the time they were little, Granny, why don't you pray for a parking spot? She would pray, go around once, and there would be a parking spot up front. You say, well, that's silly. No, it was a demonstration to, to right. two, three, four-year-olds. Hey, God answers prayer. To, the, to this day, her grandchildren all are, are go, if, if they want to pray, they don't come to us. They want Granny to pray first. And then they come to us. But Granny, Granny gets her prayers answered. I guess she's like Elisha. She has a, right, she's got the direct connection, Billy's saying back there. But you know what I'm saying? Because that see it demonstrated. We've got to show our kids that God answers prayer. Amen. 
The boys knew the situation their mama was in. They knew they had no food and all they had were oil. They knew they were about to become servants and taken into serve to become servants to pay off this debt. They knew what was coming. They knew how desperate the situation was. They knew they couldn't take care of their mother right now. They didn't know what they were going to do either. Remember, your kids feel what you feel. Your kids can feel what you feel. They sense your frustration. They sense your pain. They know when something's wrong. They may not be able to quantify exactly what's wrong, but they know that something's wrong. They can see it in your eyes. They can sense it. They can feel it. They know. But let me tell you something. They also hear it when you pray. And they hear it when you're desperate. They're listening to see what your dependence upon God is. Are you the real deal? Do you really depend on God or just talk about it? Do I really depend on God or do I just talk about it? And then when they see your dependence upon God and they see God answer, they know that God loves and cares. He is a good, good father. They know that it's okay to say, I need you more. Because he will give more as I need more. He will provide more as I need more. He will make sure that I have what I need according to his riches and glory. They need to see it. They need to know it. You cannot shield your kids and then be able to see how God moves. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not saying that you tell your kids and lay on them everything. Please, I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say is, is that sometimes they need to be able to see that God answers prayer. Amen. Right? They need to know that God answers prayer. They don't need every little minor detail, but they need to see it. She brought her boys in. And they got to see what God could do. They were directly involved. In fact, ask your kids to pray with you. Right? Let's just pray together. In fact, ask your kids to pray. What are you teaching them? You're teaching them that they can call upon God too. Right? Let your kids pray with you. Let your kids pray for you. You have older kids especially. Let them pray for you. Let them pray with you. And you pray with them. Teach them that God answers prayer. And it will make a difference in their lives. They don't need to see us working and trying to fix it all on our own. They need to see us depending upon a God who can fix it. They need to see it. And when they see it, it will forever impact their lives. Okay? They will, they will forever know. No matter what they say or how they live in front of you, no matter what they say, they will know it is there. That God, and when the time comes and they need God, they'll know they can call upon Him. She brings her kids in. They're obedient. They fill up. All of these vessels with oil. She goes to Elisha and she says, Okay, it's done. She didn't come up with to sell it on her own or nothing. That's another sermon. Don't automatically think you know what you're supposed to do next. Right? I've had that. She could have immediately said, Oh, I got all this oil. I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z with it. And never went back to the prophet. And just assumed what the next step was. You ever done that? Where you just assume what the next step was. You're obedient halfway. And then you're like, oh, I can pick it up from here, God. Mm-hmm. Right? You're obedient halfway. And you decide, oh, God, I can handle it from this spot. Thank you for the toe. Thank you for the push to here. I can coast the rest of the way. Right? You know what I'm talking about. I've done that. Where you you ride on God's coattails till you get to the point where you think it's manageable. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I used to, when I was teaching our boys to swim in the pool, and when we were in the deep end, they wanted to hold on to me. But when we got to where they could put their feet on the ground, they let go of dad and put their feet on the ground. They didn't want my help anymore. That's what we do to God. 
When we're in the deep end, we grab onto him and we hold Amen. on and we're screaming and crying and need help. But then when he brings us to shore, when we get to where we can put our feet on the ground, we leave him behind and we Amen. jump and go scurrying on out. Amen. Instead of letting him bring us all the way in. He doesn't, we don't know what his full plan is. He told, he told them, fill the jars. They didn't know what they were supposed to do next. The prophet didn't tell them what to do next. They could have made an assumption on what to do next, but they did not know what to do next. So she went to him and said, it's done. What do I do next? When God is moving in your life and he gives you step A, don't assume you know step B. Amen. Uh, one thing this church has taught me, is that I thought I, I, I once I had step A, I knew exactly what was supposed to happen in step B, and God has shown me I don't know nothing. Right. <laughs> right? I think I got it figured out. Okay, this happened, so this has got to happen. And God says, come on now. I'm not doing it that way at all. I'm not doing that at all. You think you got to figure out when God moves and he gives you the first step, don't assume you know that, that, that you know the second step, that you can take it from there. She goes back to the prophet, and the prophet says, Elisha says, all right, now take all the oil and sell it just enough to pay off your debts. Take the rest and live on it. That means, listen, not only are they going to be able to pay off the guy who they owed, they were going to be able to live the rest of their lives on what was provided. Mm -hmm. You get that? Like, that's easy to skip over. They didn't just get to pay off their debt, Right? God gave them enough to live on the rest of their lives. That's a lot of oil, folks, from one little jar. That's a lot of oil. He didn't just provide for the moment, but because they were obedient, right, and did what he said, not only did he take care of the moment, he took care of the future. Oh, someone needs to receive that right now. God isn't just a God of the moment. He's a God of the future, too. Yes. And you and I can't just want him for the minute, for the moment, and disregard him for the future. Amen. Oh, my goodness gracious. He's supposed to be the God, past, present, future. He needs to be the God of the moment and the God of the future. Amen. He needs to be in our lives. We, he's got to submit. And if we do, he'll take care of the moment and the future. Yes. Now, he may not always do it the way we want it done. And he may not do it the way we have it planned. But he promises that he will take care of us and provide for our future. Amen. What do you say? Look, look at the grass of the field. It, it's clothed. Not even Solomon and all of his riches and all of his wealth and all the great fancy stuff he could wear and put on. It's not even close to how the, the field is with the grass and the flowers, how beautiful it is. Yet it withers in a day. God says, look at all that. How much can I do for you and provide for you? Look at the sparrow. The sparrow goes out every morning and gets enough to eat for right then. Whenever it's hungry, it goes and eats. It goes back. It doesn't collect a bunch of food for the day. We had the birds in a bird nest in front of our house, some robins. And it was, they, you watch them. They got little babies. And she'd go, the mama would go get food. And she only got enough for right then. She fed the baby. She didn't collect and put worms in the nest for later. That's what God's saying. Trust him for today, and he will provide for tomorrow. Amen. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. He will make sure, because you are more important to him, and I am more important to him than grass and birds. <coughs> he knows you by name. He knows me by name. <laughs> you know, I can't promise you puppies and rainbows and flowers and glitter. 
But I can promise you peace, joy, and provision to make sure that you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, food on your table. I can promise you that I can promise you that God hears your cry. He sees your tears. He knows what you need more than you know what you need. He knows the ache of your heart, the pain of your heart. He knows your lost children, your lost grandchildren. He knows what your children are facing. They may not even have to be lost. They may just be your children are hurting and you don't know how to help them. God hears and he knows and he sees. Mm -hmm. Remember, I had this conversation with God last night, actually, about one of my children. I said, God, you're supposed to love them more than I even love them. Reminding myself that he loves them more than even I right. do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? He's going to make sure that he does by them what needs to be done for them to become who they're supposed to be. We have to trust. Trust him for these things, knowing that he loves us. Amen. That he gave his son to die for us. Amen. And he cares about us. And he has our best interests at heart. Amen. Let us see. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.